And he said, it's all going to happen in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. In one fortieth of a second, everything changes. I just sense an urgency. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. And as the old saints of God used to sing, oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past. I'm home at last. Ever to rejoice. I believe we're close to going home, church. I really believe that. And so over these next several weeks, I'm not sure exactly how long, but at least four or five weeks, I'm going to be talking to you about the return of the Lord, about end time events. And I sense an urgency that if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, You don't need to wait another moment. You don't need to wait another day. Because Jesus could come at any moment. You know, we used to live with that kind of urgency. We used to live with that kind of expectancy. But we've got too comfortable in this world. Amen? Jesus is coming soon. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. I really believe in my heart that the next prophetic event that is scheduled to take place on the prophetic calendar, and as it relates to end times, I believe that the next prophetic prophetic event to take place is the rapture of the church. But I want to just kind of give you an overview, if I could please, of how things are going to unfold over the end times. And I'm just going to briefly mention these because I will be coming back over the next few weeks and I'll be sharing in detail about some of these other events that will take place in the end times. But as I said, I really believe that the next prophetic event to take place on the end time calendar is the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church, we then enter into a seven-year period that has been labeled as the tribulation and the tribulation will be a seven-year period of time where there will be much distress and there will be much oppression as a result of hardship and persecution at the end of the tribulation the bible tells us i believe that jesus will return and he will destroy the ungodly and he will establish his kingdom we know it as the millennial kingdom or the millennial reign of the lord jesus christ And according to scripture, it will last a thousand years. And during that thousand years, Satan will be bound and it will be a time of peace. Unlike the world has ever known, which is totally contrary to those seven years of tribulation, which will be a time of the worst distress, hardship, persecution, adversity, opposition that this world has ever seen. 
At the end of the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that Satan will then be loosed again for a season and we will experience the last great battle. Once again, Satan will deceive many of the nations of the world, but his deception will be short and his deception will be quick. Because the Bible says this time God's going to grab him and God's going to bind him up and God's going to deal with him once and for all and cast him into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then after that last great battle is what we know as the great white throne judgment. Now, if you're a believer, you don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment. This is where the unsaved dead will be raised and they will stand before God and they will be judged. But because they had been found to have rejected Christ and because their names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life, they too will be cast into hell. And then after the great white throne judgment will come the new creation the new heaven and the new earth and we're going to talk about all of those things over the next several weeks and how these things unfold but so much prophecy has already been fulfilled and as I said I believe that the next great prophetic event is the rapture of the church and so this morning I want to talk to you about the rapture of the church. I hope you have your Bibles. I want you to open your Bibles today. I want you to mark these scriptures that we're going to look at because the first thing that some people are going to ask you when you talk to them about the rapture is they're going to tell you, well, I've never seen the word rapture in the Bible. And the word rapture is not in the Bible. The word isn't, but the concept is. The thought is. And we're going to see that here in just a moment. But I want you to take really good notes as well throughout this series because I believe there's a lot of people who don't know the Lord who are asking a lot of questions right now about the end times and why things are happening the way that they're happening and why are things uh, that are happening on the earth happening at this particular time and what does that mean to us in this generation? When it comes to the rapture, the, the question that, and, and I'm going to address a couple of questions this morning that are the most asked questions of me about the rapture of the church. And how many of you remember this book that came out in 1988? 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. A lot of, most all of us got one of these in the mail. We didn't order it. We didn't ask for it. It just showed up. 88 reasons why the rapture will take place in 1988. Well, he didn't have enough reasons because it didn't happen in 1988. So he came out with another book the next year, 89 reasons why the rapture will take place in 1989. Listen, as I share this message with you today, I'm not trying to put an, an hour or a, or a day or a minute on, on, on the time of when the rapture is going to take place. But I do believe that God has given us some signs and that God has taught us that we can discern the season that we are in. And the season that we are in points to the soon return of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church. So let's, let's, let's answer this first question this morning, which is what is the rapture? A lot of people don't even know what the rapture is. I know that Pastor Sargent went down uh, to, to the youth ministry over the last few weeks and he's been talking to some of our young people about uh, things that are going to unfold in the end times. And a lot of those young folks have come to me now and said, we had no idea about all of this. Nobody's ever talked to us about this. Nobody's ever told us about this. And so I felt like, well, maybe I need to talk to the parents because maybe the parents 
uh, are in the dark about what the rapture is and when the rapture is going to take place and how end time events are going to unfold so that you can teach these things to your children. But what is the rapture? I think the Apostle Paul gives us the best description of the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now, in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the coming of the Lord. But when he comes to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he gives us a clear description of what the rapture is going to be. And everybody needs to understand that the rapture is an event. But listen to me, because a lot of people get the rapture of the church confused with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they're not the same event. There are two different events, and and we'll talk about that over the next few weeks. The rapture is not the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the reason why we know that is because when Jesus returns, he comes to stay. He comes on this earth to stay, but in the rapture, Jesus is coming to get us to take us to where he is. He's not coming to where we are to dwell. He's coming to get us to take us to where he is. That's the difference in the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus will not take place until the end of the seven-year tribulation. But here's how Paul describes the rapture of the church, the rapture of the redeemed. He said, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Now, when he called them ignorant, he wasn't, he wasn't insulting them. He was just saying, I, I, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to have the information that you need about this. So he said, brothers, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep. Now, when he says fall asleep, he's not talking about people who fall asleep while I'm preaching. That's not what he's talking about. But it's a poetic way of saying those who have already died. And so he says, brothers, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have already died. And the reason why Paul is having to address this is because there are many in Thessalonica who are concerned about their brothers and sisters in the Lord who have already died and been buried, and they're afraid that because they've already died that they're going to miss out on the rapture of the church, that they're going to miss out on the coming of the Lord. And so Paul is saying, no, I don't want you to be uninformed. That is not what's going to happen. They're not going to be neglected. They're not going to be left behind. And so he says, brothers, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep or those who have died or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Listen, people who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior beyond the grave, they have no hope. And they live life with no hope. Our hope is attached to the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so he said, I don't want you grieving like somebody that doesn't have hope. Now, we do grieve when we lose a loved one, but we don't grieve and we don't mourn as those who don't have hope. We have hope because we know we're going to see them again. We know we're going to be reunited with them again. So he says, I don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So he wants to give them some words here that will restore their hope. And then in verse 14, he says, we believe 
Paul gives us clarity about what he believes. He said, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in him, those who were in Christ, those who were believers. We believe that Jesus died and rose again and believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died, those who have fallen asleep in him. But as we're going to see here in just a moment, they will return in spirit, but they're going to be reunited with their bodies. But their body is going to be a different body. They're going to receive their glorified body. We'll see that in just a moment. In verse 15, he said, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Did you know that there is a generation of people, and I hope that this is that generation. I hope that I'm a part of that generation, that there is a generation of people who will never die a physical death. Up until this time, 100% of people have died. But there will be a generation of people who are alive when Jesus comes back. And I want to be a part of that group. I would much rather go to heaven by way of the rapture than by way of the grave. Amen? And that's what he's saying here. He's saying we tell you that we who are still alive, he said we are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Yes, we're going to be raptured, those of us who are still alive, but we're not going to go ahead of those who have already died. In other words, he's trying to give them hope and he's saying, listen, not only are the dead in Christ going to rise, they're going to rise first. They're going to be the first ones raptured. Maybe it's because they're six feet lower than us and they need a head start. I don't know. But he says that in the next verse. He said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Look at this. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. Everybody say caught up. This is where we see the idea of the rapture because that phrase caught up is one word in the Greek. It's the word harpazo. And it means to be snatched out or, or to be caught away. And, and, and so we see the idea, the concept of the rapture here. He said, after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up, snatched out of this world. The redeemed will be rescued. The church will be raptured. And he's saying that this will happen before we enter into that seven-year period of tribulation. I'm going to show you why I believe that. He said, after this, he said, we are, who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, he says, encourage one another with these words. Let's look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, because some people think that 1 Thessalonians 4 is the only passage of Scripture that talks about the rapture in the church, but it isn't. It's what Jesus is referring to here in John chapter 14, when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, what did Paul just tell the people at Thessalonica? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Don't be troubled about what's going to be going on in the end times, in the tribulation. Why? Because 
because you're going to be raptured out of here before it gets too intense. Before things get to the point that you can't bear. You're going to be raptured out of here as the church. And I'm going to show you scripture that I believe proves that. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what does he say? I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You see, this is not where he comes to stay. It's not the second coming of Jesus, but it's where Jesus comes to get us to take us back to where he is. Oh, I'm ready for Jesus to come. I'm ready for the rapture to take place. And then notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Because he gives us even a little bit more insight about what happens at the time the church is raptured. And when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the redeemed. I'm talking about those who are followers of Jesus. I'm talking about those who are Christians. And notice what Paul says. He said, listen, I tell you a mystery. Why? Because up until this time, there had been no idea of a rapture. They had not talked about a rapture. It had been a mystery until now. It's a truth that is just now, Paul saying, being revealed to believers. So he said, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That is, we will not all die. But he says, we will all be changed. He's talking about what happens when the rapture takes place here. He said, we will all be changed. And notice what he says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. He said, "Here, this is how quickly this transformation in our bodies is going to take place. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. And it's been measured to be one-fortieth of a second. Quicker than you can think a thought, this transformation is going to take place. And the rapture is going to take place. It's like you're here one second and then... Boom, you're snatched out of here. And when you're snatched out of here, you're not the same person that you were while you were still here on this earth. Because notice what he said in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Paul talked about it like this when he talked about the burying and the planting of a body. He compared it to a seed. And he said, you know, the seed that you plant is not the seed that you get once that seed is producing fruit. You put an acorn in the ground, but what are you going to get? You're going to get an oak tree. And that's what he's talking about, about our bodies. He said, when we die, he said, our bodies go into the ground a perishable body, capable of decay, capable of death, capable of falling apart. He said, it goes into the ground perishable, but he said, no, when the rapture takes place, it comes out of the ground imperishable. He said, it goes into the ground in dishonor, but he said, it comes out of the ground in glory. He said, it goes into the ground in weakness, but it comes out of the ground in power. He said, it goes into the ground a natural body but it comes out of the ground a spiritual body and he said it's all going to happen in the moment in the twinkling of an eye in one fortieth of a second everything changes everything and so when we talk about the rapture what is the rapture it's a removing of the redeemed it's a snatching away of believers out of this world, off of this earth, to go and be where Jesus is. 
But the next question that people ask is, well, when is this going to happen, Pastor? I mean, I understand this whole concept of a rapture, the church being snatched away, the redeemed being removed. But when is it going to happen? Well, there's several different views on when the rapture is going to take place. Some people are, have, a, have a pre-trib view of the rapture. That, 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 that means they believe that the, the rapture is going to take place before the seven-year period of tribulation. Then there's others that are mid-trib. They believe that three and a half years into the seven-year period of tribulation, then that's when the church is going to be raptured. And then there's others that are post-trib, that believe that the rapture of the church, and let me, just, let me just throw this in right now. Did you know there is not another bit of prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church to take place? It could happen before we get out of this building here this morning. It could. It could. I mean, the stage is set, the season is right for the rapture of the church. That's why I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, man, you need to make sure things are right with him today because Jesus can come at any moment to rapture the, the redeemed out of this world. And believe me, you don't want to be here when the church is gone. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But the pre-trib, the mid-trib, the post-trib, they believe that Jesus is going to come back or the, the rapture is going to take place at the end of the tribulation, which I'm going to tell you in just a few moments don't make a lick of sense. It really doesn't. But then there's a fourth view that you may have never heard of before. It's called pan-trib. And this is the people that say, well, I don't know if it's going to be pre, mid, or post. I just believe it's going to pan out. <laughs> you know, it's just all going to pan out. I used to be pan-trib. But I'm convinced in my heart, I'm convinced in my spirit that the rapture will take place before the seven-year period of tribulation, that the redeemed will be rescued. And let me tell you why I believe that way. There's a few reasons, and I want you to write these down. One reason is because of what we read about in the book of Revelation. When you go to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is given to us in chronological order. The things that were, the things that are, and the things that will be. That's what he talks about in the book of Revelation. When you go to the book of Revelation chapter 1, you read about the church, and the church is still here on the earth. In Revelation chapter 2, you read about the church, and the church is still here on the earth. Revelation chapter 3, you read about the church, the seven churches of Asia Minor. You read about the church, and the church is still here on the earth. Revelation 1, 2, and 3 mentions the church 19 times. And every time the church is mentioned, it's mentioned as still being here on earth. But when you get to chapter 4 through chapter 18 of the book of Revelation, there is no mention of the church whatsoever as being here on earth. There's no instruction given to the, earth, to, to the church about what to do during that period of time. No instruction about what the church is to do and not to do, what the church should be and should not be. And you don't hear about the church again until you get to Revelation chapter 19 and Revelation chapter 20 where Jesus returns back at the end of the tribulation to establish his kingdom and he comes back with 10,000 of his saints. Well, if the church is mentioned in chapters 1, 2, and 3 as still on earth 
And then in chapters 19 and 20, they come back to earth. Then through chapters 4 and 18, where's the church? I'll tell you where the church is. We're not here on earth. We're up there in heaven. Where we're receiving the rewards. The rewards for the work that we've done for Christ. Rewards for being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's where we're enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of that's going on during that period of time until you get to Revelation 19. And then the church comes back into the picture when we come back with Jesus to establish the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. A second reason why I believe the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation is, as I just said a moment ago, nowhere in the Bible is the church given any instruction whatsoever about how to survive the tribulation. Nowhere are there any warnings whatsoever to the church about how to prepare. I mean, if we knew that this was something that we were going to have to face, don't you think Jesus would tell us? Don't you think the Apostle Paul would let us know and give us some kind of an instruction as to how to prepare for it? How to survive through it? So because of the book of Revelation... Because of there being no instruction, no warning to the church whatsoever in Scripture about our role in the tribulation. And then thirdly, dealing with that post-trib view of the rapture. Those that say that the rapture will not take place until the end of the tribulation. Let me tell you why that doesn't make sense. If the rapture doesn't take place until the end of the tribulation... What that means is, is that the church will be raptured. We'll just, we'll just go up and then come right back down. Because that's when Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom and to destroy the ungodly. So that doesn't make sense. I don't think that the rapture would take place at the end just so we could go up and right back down again. You say, well, pastor, do you have scripture for all of this? Let me show you a passage of scripture in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. This is God speaking. This is Jesus speaking to the church of Philadelphia. And Philadelphia was one of those churches that was a pure church. And we're not talking about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is Philadelphia in Asia Minor in, Paul, in, in John the, the, the Baptist's day. And he says, because you have kept my command to persevere. Here's what Jesus says. He said, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth now look at that passage again I will keep you from the hour that word hour means a specific time it's not a generalized generic time but it is a specific time that he is referring to here and he says that I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial, from the hour of testing, from the hour of tribulation. And he said, I'm going to keep you from it. In other words, he says, I'm going to take you out of it. You're not going to have to go through it. You're not going to have to face the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And I'm telling you, most every Bible scholar agrees this is a picture of God removing the redeemed before they enter into a time of tribulation. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 7. Now you've got to get this. Really Focus in with me. Really pay attention here on this. Here's what Paul says. Now he's in 2 Thessalonians. He's just talked in 1 Thessalonians about the coming of the Lord. He continues that thought in 2 Thessalonians. And he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
And our being gathered to him, he's talking about the rapture. And he's also going to be talking about the second coming of the Lord at the end of the tribulation. But he said, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. There was some teaching going around and people were saying, this is what Paul says. This is what Paul's teaching. And Paul said, no, that is not what I was teaching. And what they were teaching was that the rapture, the coming of the Lord had already happened and that they had missed it. And so Paul said, "Uh uh-uh, that did not come from me. And he says, whether by a prophecy, he said, I don't know if somebody got up in your church and gave a word of prophecy, but if they did, they were wrong. And he said, I don't know if somebody got up by word of mouth or sent a letter. But he said, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. He said, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come. Everybody listen to me. Do you hear what he just said? He said that day, now he's talking about the return of the Lord at the end of the tribulation. And he said that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, which is the Antichrist, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Now I want to stop right here and just preach a minute. Because here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the return of the Lord... At the end of the tribulation, it's not going to happen until there is a great falling away and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That word rebellion means a falling away. It means an apostasy. And he said there would be great apostasy before the return of the Lord. And ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a time where that is being fulfilled before our very eyes. Because here's what he said. He said it's going to be a rebellion that occurs and the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. Lawlessness means against the word of God. Anti the word of God. If Jesus is the word of God, then it's anti-Christ. It's anti-Jesus. It's anti the word of God. And listen to me, we are seeing that kind of an apostasy in our world right now. Where our world, in our culture, in our society, especially right here in the nation in which you and I live, we are getting further and further and further away from the clear teachings of God's word. And we're getting further and further away from biblical morality. We're seeing it happen. 1962, the year I was born, was the year that prayer was removed from schools. Up until that time, and many of you here can testify to this, up until that time, you could go into any public school in the United States of America and probably your teacher was going to open that class that day with prayer and then you would recite together the Ten Commandments which was publicly displayed on the wall of your classroom. 1962, prayer was removed from the school. 1980, the Ten Commandments were banned from being publicly displayed in public schools. And ever since then, listen to me, our world, our culture, our society is moving further and further and further away from God's Word and further and further away from biblical morality. But listen to me, because the Bible says it would not just happen in the world, but there would also be great apostasy within the church, within the body of Christ. If you think these kinds of things are only happening out there in the world, you are wrong, friend. 
because the church has allowed in many places an apostasy, anti-Christ, anti-the Word of God. We've got churches right now who are pro-abortion churches, denominations who are pro-abortion denominations and even support groups that support abortion. We've got churches today that deny that the Word of God is without error. That they're, that they're saying that the Word of God has error, that you can't trust the Word. They, they believe that there's not a literal hell and a literal devil. They believe that. Churches, now I'm, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about churches who are making that known in their congregations. That they don't believe in a literal hell. Listen to me. If we cannot believe what Jesus says in the Word about hell, how can we believe what He says in His Word about heaven? I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning, there is a literal hell and there is a literal devil. And I'm telling you the standard by which we are to live our lives is the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of Almighty God. Amen. I want you to listen to what one major denominational leader said at a recent conference of their denomination where thousands of people were gathered and hundreds of ministers. This major leader got up and he said this, he said, I will not define my lifestyle or my sexuality by the four corners of this book. It is time, listen to what he says. He said, it is time for another testament to be written that is more up to date and also one that is written for the times in which we are living. In other words, he is saying that this book is antiquated and outdated and irrelevant. I stand here before you this morning and tell you that he is wrong. He's wrong. We have churches today who are universalist churches. Churches that you would have never thought, denominations that you would have never thought would have stepped away from a core belief that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. But there are churches and there are denominations teaching now that there are more ways to God than just through Jesus Christ. That you can get there through some God of another religion or, or that you can, you can get to God. You can have a relationship with God by just being a good person. Listen to me. Jesus himself said... I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one, no one can come to the Father except through me. It's an apostasy. And notice what he says. He says, don't let anyone deceive you, for the day will not come until the rebellion, the falling away, people who used to hold to the core truths and principles of God's word, people who used to use as the standard God's word for the way that they lived their life. He said, they're going to fall away from that. And now they're even going to be against that. Matter of fact, the Bible is now considered hate speech in our culture. If you want to know how sick our culture is, it is not even politically correct any longer in our nation and in many places around the world for a teacher to get up in her classroom and say, good morning, boys and girls. Not politically correct. Why? Because there's some boys in the crowd that might identify themselves as a girl. Yeah. 
And some girls in the classroom that might identify themselves as a boy. Listen, God created you in your mother's womb. Amen. Males are males and females are females. Amen. I'm not worried about being politically correct this morning. Jesus is coming soon. And if we've ever preached the truth of God's word, we need to be preaching the truth of God's word. But notice what he said. He said, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until this falling away occurs. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He said, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him. The, the, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. He said, now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Now he's talking about the reason why the man of lawlessness is not more intense than he is right now is because there is a restrainer in our world that's holding him back. But can I tell you that before we go into the tribulation, what will spark the tribulation is when that restrainer, that thing that's holding the man of lawlessness back when it's removed from this world notice that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work do you hear me everything that I just shared with you going on in our world and in the church today it's going on right now but it's going to get worse when we're taken out of here it's going to be worse it's going to be more intense when 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 the tribulation begins and why because he says but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way what is the restrainer what is it that's holding back the man of lawlessness from being completely revealed and the tribulation being ushered ushered in. Here's what I believe. I believe it could be a combination of a couple of things. First and foremost, I believe that it's the restraining power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that. I do believe that during the tribulation that the Holy Spirit will still be present. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. I don't think his presence will be removed. I think he will convict people of sin because people will be getting saved during the tribulation. But I do believe that his restraining power will be removed. But more than that, I believe this. I believe that the restrainer that's holding the man of lawlessness and evil in this world back is the church of the living God who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine a world where there's not one Christian can you imagine a world where there's not one believer I'm telling you when the light is taken out of this world there will be nothing left but darkness in this world and hear me you don't want to be here when that happens because when the church is gone there will be nothing left when the Holy Spirit ceases to hold back, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says, God said, I'll raise up a standard against. But what happens when that standard is no longer there to come against it? It'll be a world and it'll be a time unlike any you've ever known. Now, I know what a lot of people think, and I've got to shut this down this morning because I could preach all day. People say, well, we don't, we don't teach about the rapture and the coming of the Lord much in our church because people start getting an escapist mentality. And they become so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Well, first of all, 
Jesus himself said in Luke 21, 36, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of God. I want to escape the tribulation. I don't want to be here when the tribulation is taking place, when there is nothing to restrain evil. Nothing to hold evil back. And people say, oh, but there'll be people saved during the tribulation. So if I don't get saved before Jesus comes back, if I don't get saved before the rapture, then I'll, I'll, I'll get saved during the tribulation. No, you won't. Are you hearing me? If you can't serve him now, what makes you think that you're going to be able to serve him in such dark times during the tribulation? Yes, I do believe that he'll give you the strength to endure. But I'm telling you, if you have a decision to make, you need to make it today. You need to make it now. So for unbelievers, your response to all of this is you need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because that's the only way to escape what's coming. And I'm not saying that that should be your only motivation for coming to Jesus should come to him because you know he's the only way, he's the only truth, he's the only life. That he's the only one that can transform you in your situation, in this present world. But what about those of us who are believers? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, he said, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, he said, here's what you need to do. That if you're still here and the rapture hasn't taken place, he said, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what are we going to do until the rapture comes? We're going to get the gospel to 32,689 people. Amen. We're going to stand firm in our faith. We're going to stand firm in what we believe. We're going to stand firm that the Word of God is our standard for everything we do and everything we teach and how we live our lives. Amen. We're going to stand firm, but we're also going to do the work of the Lord. We're going to stay busy till Christ comes, winning the lost, healing the sick and the hurt, and setting free the captive. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. Team, if you'll come. I want you just to take a moment and just have a, a personal time with the Lord right where you're standing right now. Thank God for salvation this morning. Thank God for truth. Truth is under an attack unlike it's ever been under before. And as I said, our, our world and even the church is moving further and further away from the clear teachings of God's Word. Father God, forgive us. If in any shape, form, or fashion, God, if, if we as a church are doing anything that's unpleasing to you, are teaching anything that's unpleasing to you, if anything is happening in this house that's hindering people from coming to you, Jesus, forgive us, cleanse us. May we be like the church 
of Philadelphia. May we be pure. May we be a holy church. There's a term you don't hear much anymore, a holy church. But can I tell you, Jesus is coming back for a holy church. Jesus is coming back for a righteous church. Jesus is coming back for a church and a people who have been true to his word. Who have been true to live their lives according to his word. It's the kind of church he's coming back for. Lord, may we be that kind of church. May we be light in a dark world. Father, I pray for every person in this room right now that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convince them that they do not have time to delay. They do not have time to wait. That today is the day of salvation. That you are coming soon, Jesus. To rescue the righteous and the redeemed. And Lord, I don't want anybody in this room here today left behind. I don't want anybody in this room here today to miss out. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would convince them right now. I pray that they would open their heart to you right now and allow you to do your work. Convince them, Lord, that you're coming soon. Convince them that time is short. Convince fathers this morning, Lord. Mothers. Parents. Grandparents. Teenagers. Young adults. Everyone in this room right now, Lord, that does not have a relationship with you, or maybe some of those, Lord, who have left their first love, those who are lukewarm in their relationship, because God, I don't think you're coming back for a lukewarm church. You're coming back for a hot church. You're coming back for a holy church. You're coming back for a pure church. You're coming back for a righteous church. Father, if there's any repentance that needs to be done from the righteous today, maybe because they've lost or left their first love and they've gotten their priorities out of order and and you're no longer first and foremost in their life, Lord, today I pray that they'll be putting you back in your right position as King of kings and Lord of lords. Holy Spirit, do your work. God, all I can do is pour my heart out. All I can do is speak the words. All I can do is give the warning. All I can do is speak the truth. But Holy Spirit, you've got to do the work of transformation. And you can only do a work of transformation and change in lives of people who are willing and open to allow you to do it. But I want to open up these altars this morning. If there's anybody here in this building today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, would you meet me down here in this area of prayer meet me down here in this altar area or if there's anybody here this morning and you need to come and make things right with God maybe you have drifted maybe you've fallen away from him and you need to renew your relationship with the Lord this morning I invite you to come today as the team leads us as the team takes us more into the presence of the Lord through worship this morning come on let's be obedient to Holy Spirit today let's let him do his work in every heart, in every life in this room here today. Jesus. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. 
We here at Summit and Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God. Being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summit and Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.